0: the information provided in this podcast and on this website is intended for a Canadian audience it is for informational purposes only and does not create a physician-patient relationship it is not to be used as professional medical advice diagnosis treatment or care nor is it intended to be used as a substitute anyone with any questions regarding medical conditions issues, or problems should seek the advice of a physician. Hello and welcome to Episode 7 of Peep the Process, a sport and exercise medicine podcast for Canadian student-athletes. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing our special guest expert this week, Dr. Jane Thornton, who is a native of New Brunswick. She is also a clinician scientist specializing in health innovation, medical education, and as an advocate for sport and physical activity in the prevention and treatment of chronic diseases. Jane is a sport and exercise medicine doctor and has started many initiatives to promote physical activity. From 2001 to 2011, Jane competed as a member of Canada's national rowing team. One of her chief accomplishments during this time was an undefeated international season in the women's pair with partner Darcy Marquardt that culminated in victory at the 2006 World Rowing Championships. She finished in fourth place at the 2008 Beijing Summer Olympics in the women's eights. Welcome, Jane Thornton.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: So, James, why did you want Jane as a guest on *Peep the Process?
2: Emma, we've invited Jane to explain to our student-athlete audience how to become the best athlete they can be. I met Jane several years before she was a world champion. I was the chair of the Women's Issues and Sport Medicine Committee for the Canadian Academy of Sport and Exercise Medicine, and Jane was a rower doing her PhD at Western. She presented an opportunity for our committee. later. When she got into medicine at the University of Toronto, she circled back and asked me to be her official mentor. Emma, I was delighted. She was a world champion athlete and a student. What an honor for me.
0: There are lots of medal-winning athletes who later become doctors, like hockey's Haley Wickenheiser, and of course, skating's Joanie Rochette. Why do you think top athletes do so well in medicine?
2: I knew you'd bring up the skater, Emma. (laughs) It's really no secret. For top athletes and medical students, they both need several common attributes. Uh, I told you in a previous episode that I was reading a book by Stanley Cup champion goalie Ken Dryden. He wrote about teamwork, discipline, hard work, resilience, goal setting and goal achieving, and commitment. Other common attributes include passion for what you're doing, perseverance, and real caring. But Emma, Jane has taken advocacy, and that means public support for a particular cause, to a whole other level for an early career doctor.
0: Sure. I mean, I hear she's been to Africa with Right to Play.
2: Yeah, and she's lectured our colleagues from across Canada on many occasions how we should consider exercise as medicine. It's like Jane has channeled her favorite 100 mentors and adopted the best advice from each and is now mentoring doctors much older than herself in return.
0: So, Jane, you're a doctor, a world champion rower, Olympian, right-to-play ambassador, athlete's mentor, amongst many other impressive titles. How do you do it all?
1: Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. And you know what? It's an absolute honor to be on this podcast today. And, you know, I think in terms of um, how to, you know, as I look over a career of doing a lot of pretty... uh, wonderful things and things that I've been passionate about. It's it's really about, um, I, I guess just trying to find out what I've been passionate about, trying to have an attitude of, um, you know, gratefulness towards the uh, sport that I'm involved in, towards the people who have allowed me to compete at the highest levels and have tried to, and who supported me and mentored me through this process. And, you know, and thank you, Dr. Carson, as well, certainly for your mentorship through those critical years at University of Toronto in Medicine. As a student athlete,
0: how did you balance your training schedule while still being in school?
1: Yeah, and you know, I I had I have to be honest on this. Like, it's a lot of trial and error. I can't say that I was a perfect student athlete right from day one, and that uh, a lot of it is just understanding. You're in a new environment. Oftentimes, you're in a new city uh, without your supports in place. So, part of it is just trying to uh, to learn to see what works works best for you, as you're surrounded by excellence on a daily basis. It kind of helps you realize uh, in a quick um, in in quick. Uh, time that you really have to um, set your priorities and uh, make sure that you're on time for practices and that you're still kind of meeting all your objectives for uh, academics. I think that one of the things that I noticed was that because I was a kind of a sedentary teenager who got into rowing and I was never on any other sports teams, although I really wanted to be, and um, it also made me realize early on that I couldn't depend on one sport to be the one thing that was uh, going to be my focus for the rest of my life. So I was also uh, pretty passionate about studying um, as well and just realizing that I had to have kind of a backup plan. So when
0: you say that you were sedentary, does that mean that you didn't really do sports growing up or... <laughs>
1: Yeah, I meant that I did not make any sports teams. I mean, I the one team that I tried out for, I remember in grade eight, I tried out for the girls volleyball team. Um, and uh, I, was, I remember going to see if my mate, name had made the list on the back of the gym door and I was kind of scrolling down and, and then I saw my name and it said Jane Thornton, manager. So uh, I made the team. I was a team manager, and that was my uh, that was my athletic career prior to rowing.
0: So, with that being said, in an interview in 2015, uh, you said that you were not athletic, athletically gifted, and were often picked last for teams or made manager. But in rowing, you gradually worked your way up, and to win the world championship gold medal in the women's pair event in 2006, and then again you came fourth in the 2008 beijing olympics in the women's eights uh it sounds like you were passionate and persevered to succeed so what attributes does a student athlete need to have to be their best
1: yeah i mean i think that um, part of it is uh, i i would have to say this and maybe not everyone would say this right up front but that it's all about it really is has to be something that you love doing and that you have a lot of fun and i think the reason that I kind of credit my longevity in the sport was just that when I was introduced to rowing, it was so fun, and my friends were there, the coach made jokes it was one of those things that you just wanted to be there for the social aspect. And, and that was something fun and everyone was learning. And that was something that I relied on that. I always wanted to make sure that it was something that I wanted to show up to practice all the time. of course there's going to be days that you don't want to go at all that you feel some kind of soreness or you're tired or it's bad weather and things like that. But Um, For me, it was really easy knowing that I was going to be accountable to my teammates, that they couldn't actually get out on the water without me there, so it made it really easy to show up. Um, But I think that the attributes are really about... um, I I think, you know, early on in my career, someone said that if you start thinking that it's sacrifices that you're making, it's going to be really hard to kind of keep going, um, but instead thinking about framing it as a choice that you're making. And so I think student athletes have to make choices that it may be that they might have to miss, um, so, you know, socializing. Um, but at the same time, when you think about all the benefits that come out of being involved in a sport, I think it just, it frames it really nicely to think, that, okay, well, it's, it's a choice that I'm making and, it, and it's worth it.
2: On Peep the Process, we're, we're all about return to play. And of course, we're all about the process. So Jane, can you tell us, what does the process look like preparing for a world championships?
1: Uh, yeah I mean it's one of those things that uh, it takes it does take a lot of dedication, I think intentionality, so if you think about um, the goals, that's one part of it. Um, one of the things that I kept on kind of thinking about was that it's not so much about the outcome but the task so um, some people would say, you know uh, maybe not about the not so much about the destination, but it's a journey or that kind of thing, but I break it down a little bit more and thinking we can control what we can control. There's certainly uh, things that we can. So the speed of our competition, the weather that it's going to uh, be that day, uh, whether or not someone comes down with an illness or what have you, there's all sorts of ways, what ifs that can play out. And I think we can't get too caught up in all of those things, but try to think, okay, well, to be my absolute best, what do I need to do? And I need to break it down. And so, um, that often happens in a way that um, it, it really breaks down into daily goals, into almost stroke by stroke kind of goals. How do, I, how do I make the boat as fast as I can? How do I be the best teammate I can be or become that and um, break it down into very manageable bite-sized pieces? And, and the process will usually follow that into success, we hope, um, if everything is aligned, so right?
0: They, oh, sorry. So Jane, I have a couple questions about advice. So my first question is if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself as a student athlete?
1: Yeah, you know, I look back and again, I'm I'm lucky to have had quite a lot of fun uh, throughout my career, but I think, um, so I think there's always gonna be some trial and error that that goes in the process. So I definitely didn't get it right all the time. you know i think it's it's part of it is a bit of kind of choose your battles so especially if you're you're hoping to make a national team or compete at the highest levels of sport whatever that may be um or the high at your highest potential i think part of it is understanding that there's going to be ebbs and flows in motivation and in your successes and failures and things like that and to kind of ride those out um with a sense of equanimity and i guess what i mean by that is that um, it's okay to fail, um, and and oftentimes when you're trying to do something really great, you'll you'll come up against that type of failure, and um, meaning not maybe realizing your goals for that day, for that season, for that year, for that quadrennial. Um, but that can that doesn't mean that it's going to define you as a person, and you can generally use that to overcome and and um, focus on achieving um, something even greater in the future. Um, but I think. It, and one piece of advice that I was given that I really couldn't stand at the time, but we found it very helpful after was, I think, in my third year of undergraduate uh, work. I was working on a biomechanics project, and um, it was overdue, and I kept on not being able to get it in. And, and I went to the prof, and he was a rowing coach, not mine, but another coach, a coach of the men's team. And I said, listen, national team trials are coming up. I know I have this biomechanics thing due, but just – can you just give me another, whatever, a couple of weeks to figure it out? I know it's already late, but just you, you can, you obviously understand that this national team trials is really important to me. And, and, um, and he looked at me and he just said, you know, Jane, uh, do they, do they give you an extension on, on national team trials? If, you know, if you're sick or you don't feel ready, you don't feel ready. And I just kind of looked at him and just thought, well, no, And then he just looked at me and said, well, I'm not going to give you an extension on your biomechanics paper. I was livid at the time. I thought, what an unfair comment. So, and I left, but you know, what it did teach me was that to, to manage my time effectively, we can't just keep on asking for extensions and we have to kind of, and, and again, like you, as a student athlete, you're going to see this in all areas of your life. You can, you can only ask for, um, for favors or for delays or for, not meeting, you know, whether it be like a family commitment or something along those lines, you can only call in so many of those um, before it's to your detriment. And I think, you know, the tough lessons are really that um, ideally I mean, we might not achieve this kind of concept of work-life balance. Um, but if anyone's heard of Adam Grant uh, over at Wharton College, he he uses term called work-life integration. I think we can use it in student as a student athlete as well. It's just a concept; of it may not be a balanced life. But you can, you can integrate all aspects of your life and, and try to address them as best you can. And you can do that effectively as a student athlete. And I think if I had known that a little bit earlier on, um, it may have, you know, it may have been more helpful to uh, in, in future and in, in finishing off uh, my academic pursuits. So.
0: so did you end up handing the paper in on time?
1: Well, it was already late at that point. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's all trial and error. So it did it did get in. And I also was able to compete at national team trials. So I guess there was a happy ending.
0: That's good. Um, so when it comes to return to play, whether it's after an injury or even after COVID, um, what is the most important piece of advice
1: that you want student athletes to know? Yeah, I think... Um, in in thinking about that, like especially especially in during COVID, I, I think, and I and I still train with the the varsity rowing team, and and I think one of the things I see is that we're starting to appreciate sport and our teammates in a different way, um, just because a lot of us have been taken out of sport uh, through this pandemic. So I think there is this kind of pervasive attitude that people are really happy to be there and, and understand the value of sport um and i think that part of it now is is to to really be patient um with yourself through this time uh, a lot of um athletes will struggle with mental health uh, anyway no no different than the the um non-athlete population um but they may be less um able to disclose or willing to disclose um just given that um athletes kind of are we we think of ourselves as trying to be tough and um, that we don't deal with these, uh, we don't have, shouldn't kind of deal with these um, emotions. But I think those, again, kind of coming back to this concept of um, trying to kind of normalize that, that feeling that it's, it's okay. And it's understandable that um, there may be some anxiety, there may be some fear, some concerns, and to, to really just be patient um, with yourself in that process of once returning back to sport. Yes, we're in a very unique time, but Um, overcoming adversity and facing uncertainty and fear is not new uh, for athletes so to reframe what we're going through uh, right now is some kind of um, some way to say what what can I get out of this what can I personally do to um, again not to put too much pressure to still have that self-compassion but to be able to say okay well what can I do productively through this time period to think about the process here and um, and actually get better as an athlete, and I think that's where kind of curiosity comes in as well. And thinking, um, okay, this isn't what I planned for, and I can't control the outcomes um, very much, and I can't control whether or not I'm going to actually compete. Um, but what are things that I can do right now? Um, can I use this time to maybe um, look into mindfulness or meditation or some kind of visualization for? A few minutes a day when maybe that wasn't a strength of yours beforehand or maybe this is a time to do some prehab so trying to strengthen weaknesses that you might have so that when you come back to sport you'll be stronger for it and more immune to in, um, injury or illness and then coming back to this concept of um, even res- resetting goals so uh, thinking about okay well uh, maybe it might be helpful to think we don't know when the next competition might be, but if you have in your mind that something's three or four months away, in general, athletes can kind of visualize that and think that, um, think about that type of time time frame. So still, kind of breaking it down into some manageable um, goals and and things like that. Um, I even when I was at the top of my game um, in sport, even when we had our most successful season. Um, every time after a major world championships or the, at the end of our com- um, competitive season, I would sit down with the coach and see what I could do better. And so this might be a time where um, you can, as an athlete, sit down with your coach or um, support staff in some way and just see what you can personally improve on um, as you're kind of waiting things out a little bit. Can you tell us what
2: nutrition myths should serious athletes avoid?
1: Hmm. I mean, it's a tricky one. Uh, the uh, in terms of nutrition, I, I guess I would say you know we always in in sports medicine have to be vigilant about um, supplements, especially ones that have any kind of contaminated substances uh, within that may not be on the label or or may be on the label. Um, certainly, that um, thinking about avoiding kind of an anti-doping violation uh, it should be at the top of our mind in any time that we're thinking about supplementing um, our regular diet with uh, things uh, like powders and gels and and things along those lines Uh, I tended to stay away from them in my uh, career I know that there's some that can be helpful that have shown benefit um, but I would say at my fastest I wasn't using any type of supplement Um, so I, I kind of you know, has, I have that, maybe you call it a bias about trying to stick to just regular um, uh, food sources. And most athletes have a quite a good diet. So I'd say maybe another nutrition myth that we often see are that people that are just taking, um, uh, supplementing with way too many multivitamins or things like that and trying to meet a deficiency where most athletes um, are not nutrient deficient. Um, but as long as they're eating a the kind of a, a well ba- balanced diet. So, um, but again, I think, uh, especially given uh, the amount of training that people are doing, the amount of investment they're making, it's always a good idea to have that kind of healthy, well balanced diet, staying away from um, too highly processed foods kind of thing, timing uh, food intake and making sure you're not. Um, uh, you're, you've got, you've timed it so you know what works for you and what doesn't um, um, before a training session or event. But um, it's the funny thing about nutrition myths, as we all kind of know, is that they they uh, kind of change, um, it almost seems, on a daily basis in terms of what's working and what's not. So I think the the best approach is to um, stay educated on it and, and hopefully that um, have some kind of a registered dietitian or someone that um, the team or the university can um, have at hand that can help navigate the kind of the tricky questions around nutrition what were some of the more common training
2: errors you witnessed among student athletes
1: i I think it's interesting with the training errors because i think in general we all have coaches that um, uh, give some sense of a training schedule over time and and do their best with uh making sure that there's good kind of periodization or thinking about tapering or um, kind of scheduling things around um, important events uh what i would say as a student athlete i think that if there's anything it's it's actually a question of not enough recovery um and we don't really pay a lot of attention to recovery when you've got so many demands on your time that you're going from uh, practice to class to practice again, maybe to social event or um, to evening class or coursework and things like that. And um, and so sleep often takes a hit. And even when you look at the injury research, if I mean, this is more in adolescence, um, but it could certainly young adults who would apply to as well, uh, probably all of us. Um, but if you're getting under eight hours of sleep, you're potentially twice as likely to incur an injury. So I I don't know how many student athletes out there are getting eight hours of sleep, but it's certainly one of those things that we don't see probably as much as we should. So Jane, as a student athlete, world
2: champion, you have given us such great insights and we really want to thank you. Uh, you. You've just been so amazing today, but before we let you go, Would you be able to share with us a behind-the-scenes story? One of the other themes of Peep the Process is we're all about behind-the-scenes stories. But can you give us one that exemplifies optimal training from your time as an Olympic athlete?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I was really fortunate in one part of my athletic career that I was it was a struggle and I think it was kind of one of those fork in the road moments that a lot of athletes eventually have or a lot of people can probably re- recollect at some time during their career, or whatever the case may be, that kind of defined what they were going to do. Um, and I, I think it was a year before we were quite successful in the pair, that world championship year. but. It was a time where um, I was under another coach and we were training three or four times a day. And it's just one of those concepts that that's what we knew as a national team is that you'd be training that hard um, and that long. We'd have one day off a week. Um, And uh, we were underperforming. And that year, actually, none of the women uh, uh, qualified to be able to go to the World Championships team. And I think that was the first time in, I don't know, a couple of decades that that had happened. And so it was a really difficult moment um and to that point uh, very soon after that I'd met with the coach and I was doing my PhD at the time and he kind of advised me um in in you know like a fairly like gentle way but just basically saying you know Jane you've never made a an A final which means not one of the top finals in rowing um at this point we're taking away your your funding and it's probably time to um hang up the oars and just focus on your you know academic career um and i sat with that for a while and i sort of just thought i i love the sport i don't think i'm done learning and i don't know if i'll ever make it to an a final but i i'm still willing to to try um and it was just one of those interesting timing um where we had a new hire a new coach who came over from denmark um and uh with that change um it literally happened over a couple of months but um his attitude, I don't know if he ever said this, but this has kind of become my mantra afterwards, um, is this concept of kind of allowing for excellence. And so that's kind of my go-to phrase is allow for excellence. And I and I do that now. I hope I do it, but I try to do that as a, as a mentor, as a doctor, as a parent. Um, but just that concept of um, not necessarily putting a label on what someone's potential may be, but just allowing for um you know, their best to emerge at some point. So it was literally within a few months, we went to um, having my funding taken away to becoming a world champion. Well,
0: Jane, thank you so much for joining us this week.
1: Thank you. It's an honor.
0: Uh, To the listeners, join us next week when we are joined by a very special guest who is the Director of Performance Integration for the Los Angeles Angels and also happens to be James's nephew, Ryan Croton thanks for listening to our podcast we hope you enjoyed be sure to check out our social media pages on instagram at peep the process podcast and on twitter and facebook at peep the process our website can be found at peeptheprocess.buzzsprout.com this podcast is produced by emma jacobs along with associate producer enrica imichurro Special thanks to the Department of Family Medicine at the Scarborough Health Network, the Athletic Department at Seneca College, and the Canadian Academy of Sport and Exercise Medicine for their support. See you next time. At this point, we would like to remind you that the information provided in this podcast and on this website is intended for a Canadian audience. It is for informational purposes only and does not create a physician-patient relationship. It is not to be used as professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or care, nor is it intended to be used as a substitute. Anyone with any questions regarding medical conditions, issues, or problems should seek the advice of a physician.